when I get in front of bankers, I often try to get them to understand about how data, how the way that people accessing search, surf, social, how is that information all coming back so it can be used in a positive paternalistic way, but without being creepy. Yeah, let's not be creepy. Seriously, stay tuned for more. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Innovation Driven Growth Podcast. Here we examine what enables true creativity, how to convert ideas into innovation, and seek out what ignites enterprise-wide growth. I'm your host, entrepreneur, strategist, and muser of metacognition, David Peterson. One of the coolest things I get to do is teach a banking technology class at the Graduate Banking School at the University of Colorado. And this comes up over and over, and I was thinking about it because I'm about to head out to Boulder and and do that class again. I thought I'd share with you that this theme that comes up across all of the different types of technology. So I'm, I'm basically taking all of these young bankers, they're ostensibly being groomed to be the future leaders of their financial institution. Hence, they're being sent to the graduate banking school. It's a it's a two-week program over three years, so a total of six weeks. And I get every incoming first-year student in my technology class. The vast majority of them are loan officers, and there's some investment people, a smattering, small smattering of operations folks, some audit compliance folks, some examiners, uh, FDIC, Fed, state banking examiners are, are in there. But the vast majority of them are not technologists. They're not people that come from the technology. So it's my job to sort of give them this primer of banking technology and how it works. Now, I could just, you know, basically just say, hey, here's here's this core system and here's these ancillary systems, teller and ATM and, you know, loan deposit, blah, blah, blah. You know, it could be a very boring uh, class. I really focus on trying to help them understand what kinds of decisions they're going to have to make in the future when they are the senior executive in terms of evaluating technology and understanding what that might look like even years in the future. And so that always then, you know, brings up this idea of how do we paternalistically and intelligently use data, the data that we have and the data that we could have in a positive way. So for that, I actually give them some scenarios. I'm going to give you these scenarios. So again, maybe you're not in banking, but just sort of correlate this to how this would work in in your organization. So a a customer is online and clicks on an ad that has popped up in their online banking for the bank's gold MasterCard, right? So they clicked on it and they went to somewhere, but they never finished. They didn't complete it. They abandoned the session and so did not actually complete an application for the gold MasterCard. The next week, while they are at the bank branch, a CSR asks the customer if he or she had any questions about the gold MasterCard and, hey, could it be possible to go ahead and assist the customer in completing the application right then? Okay, scenario one. Here's another one. A concierge, somebody kind of up front, somebody walks in, they greet the customer as they arrive. And once they know who the customer is, they bring up a dashboard on a tablet that shows a complete overview of the customer. The concierge can assist the customer to where they might need to go for banking services or even make recommendations based on their profile of accounts, including asking if they wanted to complete the aforementioned unfinished gold MasterCard application, right? So there's scenario two. And here's another one. The same concierge references 
above knows who the customer is before they ever walk into the branch because the bank has a beacon out front that picked up the cell phone number of the customer as he or she was getting out of the car. As soon as the customer comes inside, the concierge greets the customer by name. Hey, David, good to see you today. Okay, scenario four. Customer of the bank is at a local car lot and is looking at purchasing a new vehicle. While at the lot, they get a text on their phone that indicates that the bank has low-interest car loans and would love to arrange financing for any new car that they would like to purchase. The text is generated because the bank has a geofence around every car lot in their service area so they can detect cell phones with location services turned on who happen to be customers who are going into those defined areas. Okay, four scenarios. I could go on. I mean, I, I could give you eight, 10, 12, probably 20 scenarios. But just thinking about those four, here's my question. How many, in your mind, and be honest with yourself, how many of those four, after I read them to you, did you think constituted the bank being creepy? Now, I get it. Creepy is kind of a non-technical term, but you know what I mean. How many of those scenarios did you think would somehow be off-putting or would be unseemly or in any way not be appropriate for a financial institution to actually execute? Well, okay, maybe maybe we should define creepy because I'm going to use creepy in here. So, all right, so let's define creepy. It, it is a non-technical term that means an entity such as a financial institution has harvested data and subsequently used that data in a manner that would creep out a customer. <laughs> Okay. Okay. It's non-technical. I can't, you, you can't really define it. It's kind of like, what's the Supreme Court judge said he couldn't define pornography, but he knows it when he sees it. So I don't know if we can define creepy, but we kind of get creepy when it happens to us. And again, this is, you know, uh, think back a few years when Gmail, a lot of people use Gmail and you, you were surfing online, you know, for some luggage. And then all of a sudden an ad for that very luggage showed up on Gmail. That that creeped you out the first time. I was like, what? Wait, how, how does Gmail know what I was doing online? That's what I mean by creepy. When we experience that, we we get it, right? But here's my point. As bankers, we probably think things now, particularly for certain sets of customers, are really creepy when in fact they may not think it is. So remember, my definition is, is the creepiness is not how we feel about doing it, but about how the customer feels who is the recipient of our data mining, right? So, you know, again, I'm going to talk about banks. That's the industry I'm in. We have a lot of data and it's highly structured data. We don't have big data like all the tweets that are going to happen you know, today, but it's important data that can be evaluated for the purpose of making, I don't know, next best product recommendations or determining what levels of risk might be associated with a transaction, what appropriate credit limits might be, and you know, many other kinds of things. Now, I find that most financial institutions are only in mining data in the most basic way, the most rudimentary way. Perhaps the minimal use of data is the direct result of the bank wanting to stay clear of this creepy line, that they think that if they do anything much with the data, that somehow they would be creepy, even though that's never defined, even though they never asked any customers whether they would be creeped out about it. Now, the fact is, is that as financial institutions, we have the ability to get very granular about how we use the data that we have on customers and customer behavior 
to provide a very high level of personal service. I'll just give you one quick example. Where somebody goes to after they log into their online banking, what's the first thing they always do? It's every morning they go in and boo, they do this transfer, they look at their balance, or whatever. Well, we know that because we know where they're going in the system. So we could, when they log in, take them right there. So to me, is that creepy or is that providing a higher level of service, right? So creepiness is in the eye of the beholder. Very few banks do that simple thing that I just talked about. Take people to the landing page that they most often go to because they fear that the customer would be off put that somehow we're harvesting their data and using it in any, any way. But the limitation requires that the customer would actually have to be offended by that, right? So what if what if most of our customers, what if hardly any of our customers were offended at all? Would, would that change your mind? Would that change your thinking about whether or not you might do some more of this data mine? So I want you to try an experiment. Go, I'm, okay, if you haven't done this recently, go ahead and go to Google and, and, and search for something like, uh, I don't know, I used the luggage example you know, earlier, right? And then you know, go to social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you know, even Gmail, whatever. And, and all of a sudden you'll see links for Toomey or Briggs and Riley or, or Samsonite, right? Now, here's the uh, more interesting thing. Even if you just talk about it and you have something like Siri or Alexa or something like that, it's starting to show up. So the, so the level of creepiness, it's like, hey, I didn't search for anything. I was just talking to somebody about luggage. And then all of a sudden these ads started to show up right? Now that I'm kind of telling you about this, you'll start to see this happen more and more. When you do search, surf, and social, when you're talking whatever, the IP address that you're connecting, the cookies that are set as you, you know, move through sites and so forth are enabling the ads that just kind of magically pop up. Even though Google has shut off selling ads based on browser history as of 2021, it's still, it's still prevalent. It's still happening all across my experience uh, online. So the fact that our online activity is being tracked and that other entities know where we've been and what we're doing isn't really novel to customers. I mean, I think everyone kind of expects that that's what's going to happen. So I find that most people, when I talk about it, really aren't creeped out. They're not really upset unless the information is used in a very salesy, cushy manner to, you know, to overtly sell. As long as, as, long as the data is used in a reasonable way, I find that most people just accept it now as sort of how things work. So when I talk about this, I'm trying to help these bankers understand that it's possible that we are way too conservative to, to be trying to stay away from this creepy line, when in fact what we would do with the data is likely to be paternalistic. It's, it's going to be something we're benefiting the customers. We're not using it to redline. We're not using it to, to, to give people accounts that they that don't want or didn't sign up for. We're trying to help them make next best product recommendations or other paternalistic things about how they manage their account, perhaps even comparing the kinds of accounts that they have to others that are similar to them to, to see how other people are using systems to their benefit, whatever. I believe that banks have the customer's best interest at heart, and we genuinely want to make sure they know that we can provide a high level of service and ensure they have access to all relevant information prior to making any decision on any financial product or service. So uh, let's be clear now. I'm not suggesting that we allow non-public data to be distributed outside our organization or any circumstance. We're not taking 
customer's private data and, and, and letting that be used by any outside entity, period. Our customer's private data is private. So, you know, it's that's, uh, that's absolute. But the customer data that we have can be mined appropriately and used in an altruistic manner without our being creepy. So all I'm saying is, is that just because we need to keep non-public information private doesn't mean that we can't use non-public information in a way that's altruistic, that's positive and benefiting the customer. So what's the main difference in a customer taking something as being creepy, uh, you know, and not is as much to do with how the communication happens during each of these kind of scenarios. So going back to my example, if the concierge says, hey, Mr. Peterson, we see that you were online at 10, 15 p.m. Wednesday uh, and you clicked on our gold MasterCard application. Well, wait a minute, that sounds pretty creepy right away. <laughs> it's like you're the date and time, you know, what? what? Uh, what if instead the concierge said, hey, Mr. Peterson, many customers with a similar profile to yours have found our gold MasterCard useful is that something you might be interested in discussing today? So now all of a sudden, because I was actually clicking on the gold MasterCard and I didn't stop doing it because I was disinterested in it. I got distracted. Somebody called me away or whatever, and I never went back and finished it. So now maybe I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I was doing that the other night and I got delayed. And now, they're, you know, so the way that the person at the bank is asking, they know that I clicked on the gold MasterCard, but they're not necessarily using that information in the conversation with me, they're simply offering up, would I be interested in letting me make the connection to my previous attempt, right? So, so again, how we communicate either in an ad and where and when that ad shows up or what somebody is telling us over the phone, what kind of text or email communication we might get, and certainly any direct communication by somebody in the bank, the way that that's delivered it matters, right? And so that level of communication difference is what lowers the creepy factor. Now, we could apply the same communication method that I just talked about for that one to all of the rest of those examples that I used earlier and many, many others, right? The key question that we have to ask is not, should we mine customer data? But instead this, what is the desired outcome for which this data mining is to occur. Examine the outcome and then say to yourself, ask yourself, is that something that is paternalistically in the best interest of the customer? If yes, then come up with a narrative around which you would communicate with the customer should you elect to pursue that particular scenario. And you should be able to look at how you would message to a customer, regardless of how the message delivered, about what it is you're looking to achieve and then get a solid feel for A, not creepy, B, could be creepy, but we are likely erring on the side of being too conservative or C, whoa, definitely creepy, right? So, so again, you should be able to just kind of make a call. It's like, hey, if we, if we said this, would it definitely be creepy or would it be not creepy or eh, it kind of sounds like creepy, but perhaps we're just being too conservative. One other point is what most of us think is creepy is likely applied to older customers, particularly baby boomers or even super seniors. If you were focused exclusively on the new prospects you need to add as customers over the next three years, five years, eight years, 12 years, now we're talking about young millennials and Gen Zs. These are the very generations who delight in sharing every aspect of their lives online. Oh my gosh, don't get me started about Venmo emojis. Oh, and to associate payments 
right, with these emojis so that everyone knows what their business is. I don't get it. But there's very little that you could do in mining data that they would probably consider creepy at all. In fact, there's an expectation that you would be using their data to provide a highly personalized service, and they might think you're too old school if you weren't effectively using data. Why? Because every other experience they have are with organizations who mine that data and use it to enrich every aspect of their experience. So when you don't, because you think you're trying not to be creepy, they see that as a lower level of service. So... The issue of how we properly use customer data is a, is a far-reaching concept. Let me give you another example. So it really kind of bugs me when vendors where I have an account relationship offer me the things that I've already purchased because it, it really makes me think they're not paying attention to my account relationship at all. So, so take the scenario I said earlier where customers, you know, online and there's a gold MasterCard banner ad. Well, if that customer already has that bank's gold MasterCard, why would they be seeing that ad? That's an example of a bank that's not harvesting the data to know that the customer already has it, so don't show them that ad, show a different ad. That and in many other examples like it show that the appropriate use of data should be an element that we discuss at the senior management level and then develop a strategic plan for data mining that adheres all the rules and regulations of your industry but maximizing our ability to target services or personalize the customer experience. Now, clearly, we should never do anything that our customers would consider to be creepy. But we also must accept that our customers, both young and old, are experiencing their data being used for marketing and related purposes across every type of organization with which they do business. Figuring out exactly where we can appropriately and paternalistically mine data, we have to better serve our customers, is an activity that is worth pursuing. If you have a story about data or data mining or, you know, creepy or the creepy line or anything, oh my gosh, I would absolutely love to hear from you. And in just a moment, my contact information is going to come up in the podcast. If you are an organization that has a beacon, and it picks up my phone number right before I walk into your business. I want you to have personal walk-in music for me. I want you to have it automatically detect my cell phone number, and then it knows that David Peterson's about to walk in your, your business, and then it's going to play, I don't know, The Boys Are Back in Town by, by the Busboys. That would not be creepy. That would be amazing. Thanks again for investing your valuable time listening to the Innovation Driven Growth Podcast. I covet your questions, comments, or critique. You can reach me at david at davidpeterson.com. I'm also on Facebook at DP Speaks and everywhere else on social media at DLP Speaks. I look forward to hearing from you and be sure to look for a new episode soon.